turn with me to Hebrews 11 for a moment, and then we'll go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the army of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tormented, tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made complete apart from us. Lord, thank you for your word. Turn with me, if you will, now to First Samuel. Tonight I want to speak to us about warrior faith. And I, uh, this is a renowned Quote, quoted by many, so I think it's, I'm not sure who actually penned it. He probably heard it before, but there's nothing more powerful than a humble person with a warrior spirit who is driven by a greater purpose. And I think Christians, as it tells us in Proverbs, believers, that those who fear the Lord are as bold as lions. I think you, you read these people, and, you know, I think the Lord wants to put... Have, have us to have a character and the uh, faith that our names could be put in this list. And we look at these people, they're just plain ordinary people that were willing to, to die for their faith. You know, if you're not willing to die for your faith, then you're not really alive anyway, right? You know, that, that's what it really comes down to. These people, I mean, they were looking for a better, better resurrection. Yeah. Okay, and there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more powerful than a humble person with a warrior spirit who is driven by a greater purpose. And that's our position, right? What is our purpose? To live for God, to image Him, to fulfill the purpose and destiny for which we are created for however long we're on this earth, right? So tonight I want to look at Samuel first. He, he, we, we've covered the list there. He has um, David and Samuel listed in the end of verse 32 there, but I'm going to do Samuel first because it's, I'm a little CD. I'm going to follow the order that's in the Old Testament. <laughs> I start getting a little, you know, jerk a little bit there. You're, you're getting out of order there, <laughs> you know. But think about 
you know, this man, Samuel, and he's a really special guy. His name means ask for or ask of God or, or heard of God. And this, this guy was prayed for. You know, you look at chapter 1, verse 27, his mom was barren. And, you know, we've seen this time and time again. Every time there's a barren woman, a barren womb, and it's mentioned, there's a greater purpose of God that's in play. It's just amazing. And yet, how do we look at stuff like that? Wow. Kind of like everybody else used to look at it. Well, wow, you must not have much faith. You're cursed by God. You don't have any kids. Oh, that's just, I mean, how could you... I mean, how could you do that to someone? You never know, you know, as they say, you know, everybody has to play the, the hand they've been dealt, right? And, that, and, and to pile on someone that's probably, you know, and this is what was happening in her life. She was getting piled on um, by the culture, by this other wife. And um, so God brought her to that point. You think, well, that isn't fair. Look at all the suffering that she went through. But God used that. And because she was loyal to God, she was loyal in, in her heart to the Lord, she was brought to the point where God wanted her because God needed a man. This is how I see it. And this may be uh, not completely accurate, but as I see it, okay? So it's kind of my interpretation. God kind of brought her to the point where she would pray uh, this kind of prayer, Lord, if you get, I don't care about having a family. Just, I don't want to have a barren womb. And the chi- if you will give me a male child, a man child, I'll give him back to you. And God was just waiting for that moment to come. But look how much pain and sorrow that that had to happen in her life to bring her to that that apex of pain, so to speak. I mean, every year, every year going up there, man, she's getting hammered by Penina. Ay, that's just terrible. But she, and then she gave back to God what God gave to her. There wasn't any possibility in her mind. She knew that God answered her prayer, verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. There was no thought, I don't think, in her mind that she was going to have any more kids. That whole sorrow and pain and that heaviness of the culture of not being able to have kids was gone. That burden was lifted. Nobody could mock her anymore. Nobody could make fun. Nobody could look down upon her. But turn with me uh, to it, uh, the next, uh, what are, where are we at here? It's um, verse 18 of chapter 2, the childhood ministry. But Samuel ministered before the Lord as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe <laughs> and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan he has given to the Lord. For the loan was given to the Lord. Then they will go. Then they would go to their home. And the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Isn't that nice? Isn't that wonderful? You know, God 
God always gives us back more than we ever pray for. And I just, it's just a great little story. And I, you know, I think about some of the pain that, um, that's present in our church, people's lives. A lot of people are quiet about it. But there's nobody without sorrow. There's nobody without pain in our church. Everybody, we all have certain things that we carry that they're just not as we would prefer them to be. And, it, and in some cases, it's very hurtful. And people are carrying these things. But I think she's a good example. I know it's Samuel's mom, but I think it's a good example. We have to just keep on, keep our hand to the plow. We can't look back. Just uh, how long she had to, how many years did she have to go through this? We have no idea. Doesn't tell us. But God answered prayer. God, I love that. For this child I prayed. And the Lord granted my petition. Do you think God will grant your petition? I think he will. And this is a, a special guy. When you think about Samuel, Samuel was the, the, the guy that the Lord needed, was the, the person who had transitioned Israel from the time of the judges to the time of the prophets. He is the first, he is the last of the judges but he's the first of the prophets that were to come. He's going to be the man who transitions Israel into being led by judges to being led by the kings of Israel. And so he's got this transitional ministry, if you will. Um, has a little side note, he's actually the one that, I think, began the school of the prophets. If you look in chapter 10, uh, when Sam, uh, Saul gets, lo uh, the donkey gets lost, and he goes looking for it, um, there's the prophets that come out. Well, where are the prophets coming from? Uh, this would be First Samuel 10. Uh, there's a school of the prophets, and I, in, if you read the story of Samuel, which we are not going to be able to get into all this, but he would go to various cities, three cities, Ramah, um, Mizpah, and Bethel, and make that little circuit, and then he would go home and stay there. He would make that circuit around, but he developed the school of the prophets, a school of ministry, if you will. And training up men for the ministry. I think it's just a tremendous thing that he had. Later on in chapter 19, Paul of Saul goes there, uh, uh, you know, and he, while he's in that state of rebellion, and when he comes into that zone, it must have been a really blessed place because people that came into that sphere started prophesying. Now, here's a backslidden guy, completely backslidden, and he starts to prophesy. I mean, the Spirit of God was just heavy upon that zone. This is the place that David went when he was first on the run from Saul uh, in that area where the school of the prophets. He hung out with Samuel for a while. Probably got some needed spiritual encouragement, if you will. So Samuel had this tremendous ministry. But as we... Uh, and so I give you the history of, of, of that before I actually get into this part that's also good. And it's his early boyhood. He... He didn't know the Lord. You know, in verse 7 of, of chapter 3, he didn't yet know the Lord, it tells us. This would be verse 7. And this is one of the things that we should be praying for for our children, that they would come to know the Lord. But remember, Jesus makes this statement, and, and let, you know, the, unless the Father chooses to reveal the Son, or the Son chooses to reveal the Father, we can't know God. It is God's, it's God's choice to reveal himself to us. 
One of the things I pray for my grand, my, you know, I pray for my children, but I also pray for my grandchildren. Lord, please make yourself known to my grandchildren. You just, that's the most important thing, the most important prayer we can pray. Because they're not going to, you know, they can do whatever they want, but they're going to have to answer to God. You want them to have that kind of relation, excuse me, that kind of relationship. But in, in this too, you know, you know, don't expect them to get it right away. I do have a praise about that. Uh, my oldest grandson was in school one day. He's about, I think he's five or six. He's not older than that. And it was one of those hot f- summer days when school first starts. And school's out, and they go out in the play yard waiting for the rides to come, right? So they have their little recess at the end. And it's just... Yeah, well, he's, uh, you know, okay, after school care. But he's just blistering hot. And he's just, oh, God, send a gust of wind. <laughs> That's what he prayed. Praise to God for a gust of wind. A gust of wind. So, so when his mom arrives, he gets in the car, and it's, she gets out of the car to get him in and strap him in and all this kind of stuff, you know. And she said, man, it's really windy. He goes, yeah, I, I prayed that the Lord would send a gust of wind. <laughs> and I just, I just think that's just precious. You know, God's listening to the little kids. There's this, and here's this little guy that gets a, a, a new ephod every year. <laughs> New clothing, new wardrobe every year from mom because he's growing, growing out of it. And it takes four times. It takes four voices of the Lord to, to, oh, and he needs a little help along the way. The Lord comes to him and calls his name and he thinks it's Eli. <laughs> and then he, he thinks Eli's probably teasing him. And then Eli's, duh. <laughs> hey, the next time that happens, just say this. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. This is a great little story. And then it says, the Lord came and stood and, and called him as before. Now, this is, a, this, this is one of these things where it's the angel of the Lord, right? This is a pre-incarnate. God did this in the Old Testament. It's really kind of difficult for people to get this. I, I find this difficult for some people to grasp that God would manifest himself physically in the Old Testament and come as a man. He would appear as a man often. Remember we did, you know, this whole thing with Manoah and his wife. And this guy, this man of God came. He had a really he was a really awesome, handsome, awesome look. You should have seen him. <laughs> right. Well next time he comes let me know, you know. Uh so this is an important thing to grasp. And so Anyway, in this encounter that he has, he not, I mean, the Lord throws him into the deep end of the pool. And I've been accused of that with my kids as they were growing up. You know, just, you're going to learn how to drive, get behind the wheel, let's go. You know, well, you got your permit, let's, tr- let's give it a whirl here. We won't talk about it any more than that. <laughs> we didn't just drive around the block. <laughs> Well, so he's here, he gets a revelation that Eli's house is going to be judged. I mean, that's a way to break a guy right in, into the ministry. I mean, this guy's a toddler, essentially, 
maybe. Maybe a little older than that. Maybe he's 12. I don't know how old he is. doesn't say. But I mean, your first prophecy, and think about this for a moment. This is the high priest. This is the guy you live with. This is the guy that's instructing you, dialing you in on everything that's important in the ministry and the offerings and all that, and you're going to tell him that God's going to judge his house. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big load, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Verse 19 tells us that Samuel grew up and the Lord was with him and none of his words fell to the ground. See, that's the thing. That's how you know if someone's really of God or not. Does what they predict and the prophets of old. One thing wrong, you're a false prophet. I wish we would apply that today because there's a lot of people saying this and a lot of people saying that and there's no checks and balances. And you know what it does? It brings confusion. It, pre- it, pre- it breeds a false hope in people who, who are trusting in something that may not happen because, well, so, well, so-and-so said, when you say, thus saith the Lord, you know, and this is what we did in the, Pente- in the Pentecostal church. I've uttered prophecies before. But I'll tell you, you know, a couple, that's it, in 40-some years. But it happened. So you've got to be really careful with this. And the Old Testament was pretty strict, and this is what that means. None of his words fell to the ground. So that means whatever he pre- said, when he said, thus saith the Lord, it happened. And we need that kind of authority in the church today because that kind of authority produces the fear of God, which is really needs to be a little bit more in the church today, at least from my perspective. And it was so, he was so, he had so much authority in his life as a young man, the whole nation knew, whoa, that guy is, God's hands on that guy. The Lord, that's what it says, the Lord was with him. There's no greater thing that can be said about a believer. When they look at your life, well, I don't know about this, but I know one thing, the Lord is with that guy. The Lord is with that gal. It's amazing what God is doing through that person. And you know, this is a, we should have that same kind of testimony. That's why he's in the hall of faith. He had this, this kind of walk with God. You know, and in this case, as I said, there was a special call upon his life. There's a lot of grace here. He, in and of himself, he's nobody special, but God had a special call upon his life. He needed a person to make this transition within the nation. And so the Lord appeared to him in a special way. He appeared to him at Shiloh, where the, the, you know, where the tabernacle was set up. And the Lord revealed himself. But notice how the Lord revealed himself. It says, that, it, this is um, at the end of chapter 3, in the last verse. He, the Lord, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by, in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, I... Do you find that interesting phrase, by the word of the Lord? Is it, do you find it anywhere else in the Bible? How about, let's, and, and we're going to stick in the, New, the Old Testament initially. Let's go to, back to Genesis 15. Because this isn't just, oh, God's just speaking into his mind. It's the word of the Lord. We think, what is this, just the verbal communication, you know, the voice, the invisible Yahweh speaking from heaven? Or was it more than that? Genesis 15 should answer that question, at least to some degree. 
In chapter 1, or chapter 15, verse 1, we read uh, through verse 5, this covenant that God made with Abram. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So he's seeing something, eyeballs, right? Or at least mentally, something's going on visibly. Saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what, what, what will you give me seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eliezer of Damascus? And then Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring, and indeed the one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look how towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, we've already established that the word of the Lord came to him. But notice in verse 5 it says, he brought him outside. This is a physical manifestation. A voice doesn't bring you outside. He brought him out. He's in the tent talking to him. That's the picture I get. Hey, come outside and take a look here, fella. Look up there. This is a... F okay. Who picks up on this phrase, word of the Lord, in the New Testament? Anybody want to guess? How about the Apostle John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and nothing that was made was made without Him. And then what does it say in verse 14? And the Word became flesh. And so this is an important part of understanding uh, how God has revealed himself. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. You know, again, I refer to this an awful lot, but Je uh, Exodus 23, the angel of the Lord, my name is in him. He's going before you. Judges chapter 1, he came to Bochim and he, sp the, and he said, look, he spoke to them. We have the angel of the Lord as we covered him uh, last week with uh, Manoah and his wife. So there's this physical presence of Yahweh recognized by the nation and then we also have the voice you'll see that in a, several different occurrences it's really not hard to track down you can find proof text for this Jacob when he's <clears throat> reciting how the Lord blessed him and led him in his angel there in 47 and then we have Exodus 3, when he had this encounter with Moses at the bush. We have the voice, and then we have something else going on there. It seems to be a, a physicalness. The bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. There's a lot there. So um, when you look at the, the pronouns there. So leaving that with you for your own, your own study. I think the thing that's important when we think about the concept in the word of the Lord, I think it's important that we understand Samuel's a good example. He's a little boy. He's ready to crash, but he's quieting down and he's listening and he hears the voice of God. He doesn't recognize it initially. And I think we have to be trained. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. 
Now, not every voice I have that goes through my head, probably 99% of it is not God. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. But I think we, he wants to train us so that we hear the quiet, still, small voice. And we learn to detect that. That, you know, the voice, as we go this way, the Lord speaks, you know, Isaiah 30. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. We need to be, and there's just something about being at peace, having a calmness in your life, having uh, control of your faculties, and just in a state of just trust that, that when God speaks, it's clear. I get it. I'm going to do it. Here we go. And, you know, doesn't mean you might have some, not have some apprehension about what you're doing, but you, know, you just know that God spoke to you, and that's all you really need. And, again, we see here in chapter 4, the Ark of the Covenant's lost to the Philistines because the priesthood is absolutely in shambles. The leadership is absolutely a train wreck uh, within the nation. Eli has failed miserably as the high priest. And God simply just executes what he said to Samuel and another man of God that had come and given um, this sentence uh, to Eli's hearing. And um, he judges it. It comes to pass. In chapter 7, he becomes the judge and the leader of the nation in that sense. He's, he's got a message for the people because they have no leadership, because they have backslidden once again, they are now being hounded and trampled over by the Philistines. And his message is a message of repentance. If you'll just turn to the Lord. This is, I mean, I just, I refuse to complicate the ministry. Oh, we need this ministry. We need this ministry. You know what you really need? You think about these people, that they have specialized ministries. Oh, well, we need a marriage ministry. We need one for this here. We need, oh, well, these people really need, no, you know what? It's a family, and we do a lot of things together. Kathy and I were talking about Fred Drown. He had a ministry to the, Frank, I call him Fred, um, him and his wife for a number of years. They were down there 10 years before Jim, um, Elliot was down there, and they were in the south. He was in the north, if I remember right. Yes, he was very instrumental. His ministry was very instrumental down there. But his first ministry, once these number of these people came to the Lord, is they started leaving the tribal mentality, and they developed this family thing. that They built a structure, and, the, and they knew that they just needed to hang together and stop moving around, and so they became kind of agrarian. They had to plant learn how to sow seed and grow seed and that kind of thing. And they, the converts started all that uh, under his leadership. And what they did initially was he just read the word of God to them. And they sang songs. And they kept it so simple. Do you think they had a specialized ministry for Samuel? Do you think they had a special... Did David... Hold on, I got to go to church tonight. I mean, these guys are running for their lives. We've got some really, okay, you're being kind of critical of the church. 
Well, yeah, I'm part of the church, though. And I feel like I have the right to do that. If our ministry, the way we do ministry in the Western culture is so effective, then why are we in this state that we are? Something's not right. Something's out of order. The priority must be the Word of God. It must be prayer. It must be fellowship. If we want to form other ministries and keep that as the basis, I'm all in. But if it's just to entertain people and try to, whatever we can do to get people through the door and entertain them and help them to feel better about themselves, I'm not sure what the motive is. We just, it's nickels and noses, right? I'm not going to go there. It's more than that. There's more important things than that. You know, I remember, I will never forget what Chuck taught us. Don't think people are more spiritual than they are, or you'll never meet their need. And so as a pastor, as a parent, with our children, we have to stay the course with what we know is right. And I think he's preaching, Samuel's preaching to these people a message of repentance. And they received it. They were, get, they were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that's what has to happen for people to come to a position of repentance. He said, look, put away your idols. Prepare your hearts. And serve God alone. That's just really, revival is not hard. And I, I don't really think it's, it's a, well, this is, it's got to be, it's a sovereign move of God. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But it also involves the sovereign will of man going along with what's necessary for God to, to bring new life. And one of them is put away the idols. Turn from the wickedness. If we will, our favorite verse for saving our nation, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, right? Turn from their wicked ways. Oh, well, God's church would never have wickedness in it. Really? You really have, we really have that self-image that we're, we're just, that's self-righteousness is what that is. That's no different than the, than the Pharisee that comes, I thank you, Lord, that I'm, no, I'm not like this, you know, this tax collector guy. I, I fast. Well, not just once a week, but twice a week. And I tithe everything. And the Lord pukes, right? You know, this is the church of the end days. We're lukewarm. And I'll spew you out. And this is where we're at. These are tough words. Samuel brings the message. You got to repent. You got to turn. You got to get right. You got to get real. Put away your idols. Prepare your hearts. Serve the Lord. Oh, it's chapter 7. Or ch- I mean chapter 4, excuse me. Hold on. It is chapter 7. I said chapter 4. It's chapter 7. Yeah. And you know what? With that repentance, and this is what I love about this, because that all really sounds like a heavy, but with every heavy that God may lay on us, which we, we feel is probably heavy because it means we've got to give up our idols. <laughs> they consider, people consider that heaviness. Oh, wow. That's legalism. <laughs> no, it's wisdom. If you want God's presence, you're going to you're gonna have, to, you're gonna have to seek it. So they 
look, if you do this, I will deliver you. I'll deliver you from your enemies. And look what God did. The people responded. Probably not everyone, but a number of people responded. They drew water, they fasted, and they confessed their sins. Now the idea, I think here, about drawing water is that they're not going to, they're going to fast. You got to have water and you got to have food to survive. But they're going to, they're going to abstain until Samuel's interceded for them. They're serious. When you fast, you're showing some earnestness before God. That it really means something to you. Now, I have to pray for that because I, I like to eat a lot. I like to eat often, whenever I want, whenever I get hungry. And I like to drink when I'm thirsty. And so it takes a little, you know, I have to say, Lord, I'm a, um, you know, I'm a wimp. Help me get a grip here. I'm not going to die if I go without food for a few hours, you know. Whatever. This is the idea, though. And so what's really amazing, and I think we should understand that right in the middle of this revival, guess who attacks? The enemy attacks right in the middle of it. Let's just interrupt that. We can't have that. The enemy's, you know, we're going to make some waves here in doing the right thing. And the Lord answers Samuel's prayer. And the Lord thundered with a, th- a loud thunder upon the Philistines, and they were confused, and Israel overcame them. And I, I decided this is going to be my prayer against the, re- the wicked and rebellious in our country. <laughs> a little tongue-in-cheek. I, but seriously, why not? <laughs> why not exercise childlike faith? And, you know what? Lord, bring a thunder. I mean, speak from heaven with some thunder, and let's shake the people in D.C. Let's sh- the, high, the people in high places that are leading us in the, in our enemies, really. Let's just bring the thunder. Bring the heat, Lord. And what does it say? The Philistines were subdued. Didn't go away, cause, but they were subdued. And that's what we can expect. We think once... Once we win this election, our problems are forever solved. You think they're going to just go away quietly and not hassle us, even if we have a victory or two? Think otherwise, because it's not that way. But what it does say is that they were so subdued that they didn't come back into the area anymore. And actually, they want if you look at the map, Mizpah, where they were at when this was going on, they're, that's kind of into the mountains was where they initially shoved them back. They were confused. They went on into the Shephelah, which is the valley area between the mountain range and the Mediterranean Sea, the Shephelah, the valley, the, the rich valley where they grew the crops, Ekron and, and Gath, and it blew them out of there eventually. God answered their prayer because they had a good leader. They had, thou had, they had a praying people. They had a people who, who returned back to the fear of the Lord and they put away the idols. They didn't, you know, I, don't think, I don't think these people went back and started serving their idols. I think they stayed true. There was, a, there was a good move of God in that regard. So there's a lot there uh, for Samuel. But I also want to move quickly through David. Uh, otherwise, we're never going to get through the book of Hebrews. <laughs> David... Obviously, we talk a lot about him, so I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm cheating you too much. I'll just, if you go from chapter 16 
of First uh, Samuel here to the end, chapter thirty. That's his pre-king uh, days. And so chapter sixteen, he's anointed by Samuel, and he comes on the scene uh, in that as a young boy, the shepherd boy, and he's good, he's already being anointed as a shepherd boy to be the next king. It's just a matter of time. He chapter seventeen, he has the fight with Goliath. 18 and 19, he's persecuted severely uh, by Saul for a number of, beginning at that point for a number of years. In verse, uh, chapter 20, he develops a friendship with Jonathan. 21, he flees from Saul. 22, he, he begins to lead 400 societal rejects. <laughs> I just find that. All these rejects. Do you think it, you look at Calvary Chapel, and that's one thing that God has done is we are, I'll put myself in that group. I'm a societal reject. I'm a reclamation project. We got some of these guys, man, they were in prison, dope heads, brain damage, healed, anointed, and used by God to just turn the world right side up again. This is amazing grace. And But, but God gave him favor. There was something about David that they just like this guy was a leader. Just it, he just had that thing about him that wow, the guy's you know he he's he he's he can sing. He's got a good heart. He's humble. He's bold as a lion, and he can fight like sixty. I mean, this guy he's, he's not intimidated by anything, and yet he's he's got a humble heart. That's I mean, it's amazing. It's that whole warrior spirit. It's it's amazing. Uh, how God uses that. In 23, his men fight to save Keela. In 24, he spares Saul's life. In 25, he listens to Abigail and doesn't do something stupid. In 26, he spares Saul's life again. In chapter 27, he allies with the Philistines. He's had it. He's got a lapse of faith here. And he goes into the enemy's camp. And, but by the mercy and grace of God in chapter 29, they reject him. Get out. You're, we don't trust you. But, I mean, he's, he's pushing the envelope really a little tight right there. And then I'm like, David, you've got to know. You just need to get out of there. Don't act stupid here. Just get out. I'm just, I'm reading this and I'm like, what are you doing? Trying to stay there? You're actually going to go to fight against your people? That would not be good. Anyway, chapter 30, uh, he fights with the Amalekites. So what we see in a condensed way here, through these formative, these are the formative years. It took Saul, it took a, a rogue king to really develop David into the man of God he was to be. We see his character development through these things. And that's what was God was doing. And and this is something we have to come to grips with. You know, we think if we're suffering, the natural thing for us to think and to go there, and the enemy whispers in our ears about it, is that the reason why you're not blessed like you want to be is because God really doesn't care that much about you. And actually, he's allowing us that because he's actually paying you back for your sins. He's actually judging you. And we get all kinds of lies 
when we know that things are not as they should be, and really, it might just be part of God's preparation process because he knows that in this case here, David's not ready for the throne. That little shepherd boy got anointed. He's not even close to being ready to lead that nation. He's going to have to be humbled and broken. And that's what that's what these developmental years are for in our lives. God, we have, boy, it's hard to do this, but we have to pull back and try to see things from more of an eternal long view of life. And so I think this reveals uh, his heart and his character. We would not see his heart. We would not see his character had not David gone through this. He he loves friendship. He's a loyal guy. He's got a loyal friendship with, with Jonathan. He 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 doesn't understand why Saul he's such a childlike and he said he didn't understand why Saul would do this to him when he he just wants to serve him and help him as the king. He doesn't understand why he that he's jealous of him. He does he's, you know, you can see the innocency there. But it's character. Think about character for a moment. Character is who we are, right? Reputation is what people think you are. And, you know, um, character is revealed by how we react in certain situations, you know. Do we get carried away with our emotions uh, or our circumstances to get the best of us and we lose it? Well, it just shows you where we're at and we're not as far along as we probably need to be, right? And But what's to be our focus, really? Our focus is to be on our character and let God take care of our reputation. It really doesn't matter what other people think we are because God knows what we are and, and we should be, uh, be focused on our character rather than our reputation. We all know what good character is. We're honest and upright. You, know, you, tell, you give someone your word, you want to Abide by it. God honors his word above his name. So I should tell us something. I learned that lesson when I was young. I'll tell you the story real quick. I was building a timber frame home for a guy. We were back in the middle of 80 acres. No power. We had work to do, so we had to use a generator for our power back then. They didn't have battery tools like they do now. And we, I had rented a, a handheld 12-inch planer, which is a very expensive tool at the time. And the guy said, look, don't, please don't use a generator because I'm not sure that, you know, that would be the best thing for this tool. You could burn it up, potentially. I said, okay. So I... I gave him my word, right? So I needed power back there, and I knew the generator we had and for all that we were doing back there that a little generator wouldn't do it. So I went and got a generator from a, I rented a generator from a farmer. Big, big one, run lots of wattage. And I thought, well, that's like, that's just like having a power back there is what I thought in my mind. And so I was going to break my word, and I was going to use that, you know, tool uh, with the power supplied by that generator. Well, on the way there, this was such a big generator that I had to pull it behind my truck. Well, lo and behold, the 
came loose from my truck on a bumpy road and, and rolled over. And so I had to go get that repaired. And I couldn't. And the Lord says, no, you gave your word. So long story short, I got a spanking. <laughs> but that's how important it is. God wants us to keep, he expects us to keep our word because that's how character uh, is revealed. And he's got the best character of all. He always keeps his word. He always keeps his promise. And he usually goes beyond what we think and can imagine, right? And the, and the people that don't have character, what kind of people are they? You might know a few of these or have met a few of these over the years. They're people that they were looking for the easy way out. When the t- going gets tough, we're bailing. We are so gone. We are out of here. And they're only interested in serving themselves. They're not really considerate of other people, and that's kind of sad. I like to end with this here. Um, if you go to Second Second Samuel's his administration, David's administration and stuff, and uh, but twenty three covers his mighty men. Did a Bible study through all those mighty men. That is a great little Bible study, by the way. These are really some bad boys, and I mean that in the sense that they were highly skilled warriors. These guys, um, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. He's a Japanese. Uh, martial art guy, he's an older, he died in 1969. Uh, I can't remember, it's the Shibis, his last name, I think, if you pronounce it like that. But he, he had this quote, and it and it's true of people who have character, who have put the time in to become skilled and develop their character when it comes to uh, being a warrior. Quote, he says, those who are skilled at combat do not become angered. Those who are skilled at winning do not become afraid. Thus wise men win before the fight while the ignorant fight to win. There's just, and this is what happens to someone who who qualifies himself through faith and character to get into the hall of faith. All these people that we look at in chapter 11 they knew how to fight the good fight of faith. They knew how to just keep their, hey, they're not going to lose their cool. God's in control. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I trust him. And that's really the same. You look at, you look, just go through the, the list. Read through these 40 people. Or how many of them are listed? Amazing. They were skilled at trusting God. They had their, they were, they had their warts. They made mistakes. We make mistakes, but that doesn't disqualify you. They were loyal to God, and that's what matters. And may we learn to be loyal to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are faithful to us. We thank you, Lord, for these these examples, Samuel, David. We've been given so much, Lord, in these examples, and we just pray that we will be men and women of faith, no matter how much pain and sorrow, no matter how much preparation we have to go through to become the people you want us to become, to accomplish the purposes that you have, Lord, strengthen our inner man, fill our hearts with faith, fill our hearts with courage, Lord, give us boldness, give us your spirit, Lord, give us a humble spirit before you, a trusting spirit, Lord, you've been kind, you've proved proven yourself so faithful, Lord. We have no reason to doubt 
anything you ever say to us. Just deliver us, Lord, from unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.